0: Hi, this is James Barris. I hope you find this talk supports you in your practice. If you'd like to support my teaching, you can use the donate button underneath my picture on Dharma Seed to do that. Your support is greatly appreciated. Well, here we are, just about 24 hours later. <clears throat> A lot can happen in 24 hours, huh? Or maybe it seems like nothing's happened in 24 hours. But the first day of retreat is, uh, as I think everyone here knows, uh, a challenging day for most people in practice. It was particularly um, helpful and interesting for me, and I think for uh, for the other uh, teachers, to have interviews today and... Find out, connect with each of you, and find out uh, just why you're here, what your intention is for being here. It's the first time that, uh, that we've started a retreat like that, at least that, uh, that I've been a part of. I usually ask people on the, uh, the first evening to get in touch with that, but to actually hear it and be a witness to it was, uh, was very uh, moving. And I just want to take a moment. How many people found that helpful to connect today? Okay. So it might be something that we do from time to time. And I would I would like tonight to talk more specifically uh, about this power of intention. It's useful on the first day to remember it because often the thought that comes through the mind is why am I doing this again? You know. <coughs> might have done 18 retreats in your spiritual career but often I know for myself even after many, many years of doing that on, on the first day or two days there's this, you know, scratching my head or mentally in my mind why, why are we doing this? Why am I doing this? And when you connect with your reason and get more and more clear on it, it's available to you so you have the response, at least some something to come up with. Oh yeah, that's why we're doing this, why I'm doing this. Power of intention is really a key issue in practice. It's the second link of the Eightfold Path, sometimes Uh, It's talked of in terms of right thought, but um, just as often it's spoken of as right intention or right aspiration. That once you see the possibility of freedom, what leads to happiness as opposed to what leads to suffering, and there is that possibility of the path and a vision there is then the next step, the intention to walk that path. And when we are in touch with it, it fuels our effort. It's a very different place to come from in practice when you are clear on why you're doing what you're doing rather than just going through the motions or having lots of doubt. This is really the the basis of our effort, whether it's sourced in faith or trust or some past experience that has inspired us that we want to continue to develop. An intention guards against our doubts and confusions. The clearer we are, it's like a... um, a safeguard against all fears and sufferings. I was uh, once at a, a conference with the Dalai Lama, His Holiness, and uh, was uh, very moved by his response to someone's question one uh, one afternoon. And he was asked, "How do you deal with all the fear around you?" You know, so many people have come so far. And have gone through so much tragedy and are deeply wounded inside, and there's much fear, and fear for your well-being that many people have. Boy, when you go to to be around the Dalai Lama, even in uh, in large gatherings, let alone smaller ones, you know, there's security everywhere. And uh, when you go to Dharamsala, it's like going into the uh, pearly gates almost, you know, and they frisk you and all kinds of things because a lot of, a lot of people uh, see him as a threat who think very differently than he does. How do you deal with all the fear? And if you have fear inside for you, how, how do you work with that? And he said, my sincere motivation is my protection. And motivation and intention, I'll, I'll, I'll use them... Um, uh, interchangeably. And then actually the next day, some, someone asked him, how do you work with all the suffering you see? So many people come to you, how do you bear that unbearable compassion that is wise in the midst of all the suffering? And he gave exactly the same response. My sincere motivation is my protection. When we can get clear in ourselves of our own intention and sincerity of motivation, there's a protection that we have for all the the demons that visit us and all the, the doubts and the confusions. And as probably most of you know, intention is the basis of all karma. On a karmic level, whatever action you do, the result is based on the, the motivation that you have as you are doing it. If you are motivated to act from grasping or aversion or confusion, delusion, identification, you are sowing the seeds for suffering. If your intention, and it can be exactly the same act on the outside, but if your intention is coming from a place of non-grasping, or generosity, or non-aversion, kindness, non-delusion, clarity, wisdom, then you are sowing the seeds for happiness, for wholesome results, So you see, this is a very key issue. There's a a Tibetan saying that says, everything rests on the tip of one's motivation. Graphic. There it is. And it's in every single moment that we have that choice. And so when we get in touch with that choice and we act on... Our Wholesome Intentions, where we're sowing the seeds for happiness, one, because it feels good in the moment, two, there is a greater likelihood of that response in the future, and three, the karmic result coming back to you of happy circumstances. Thich Nhat Hanh has this beautiful uh, passage on nourishing healthy seeds, That each time we're present for our wholesome actions and we really take it in and feel the goodness and the wholesomeness of it, that is a way that we're watering and nourishing those healthy seeds. Doing the loving kindness meditation is very much this process, even when it seems forced or stilted or, you know, just not there, you know. May my heart be filled with loving-kindness. Yeah, right. You know, you know that feeling? May I have the highest wisdom, fat chance, the mind might say. Right? Even when it doesn't seem like that's where you're really coming from, just having that intention, planting those healthy seeds, bears fruit in, in most amazing, mysterious ways. And if you've ever done a an intensive period of loving-kindness, you see that besides the the stuff that seems to get in the way over the course of time, besides the angers and the the memories of all the unskillful things that you've done, that's often come, coming up in the practice. Little by little, keeping on just that intention of wishing well from the heart, the fruit starts to ripen and... Uh, and be born. So, intention—it's—it's it's more than just having a good idea that this would be nice. You know, it would be. Gee, wouldn't it be great if I could be mindful? You know. I'd really like to. You know. Or, I—I uh, think it would really be great if I could, you know, put my whole heart into this retreat. When it's just a good idea, it lacks the, the juice, the energy of empowerment. So there is a certain kind of power of decision that's not just a, a rational analysis. Oh, this would be a good thing. But there really needs to be a heartfelt, connected, emotional if we could use that word in the Buddhist context, you know, skillfully, an emotional connection to that decision. So your whole being feels it. And often, when I'm seeing somebody in an interview and and they they talk about how uh, how much they love the practice or how they're moved by it, I, I will ask them if they if they feel up to it to to just remember to embody once again that feeling to have that emotional visceral feeling accessed because the more and more it's contacted the more it's available so this is a kind of wanting i really want this in a healthy sense it's a it's a skillful desire that is in the service of greater awakening. And it needs to be emotional if we are to have any effect on the inertia that we usually find ourselves in, just maintaining the status quo, because we are creatures of habit. And in order for there to be a radical change of direction or of habit, there needs to be that heartfelt connection. Sometimes we don't realize that we're working against ourselves and thinking, "Well, I think I have this intention, but not being emotionally enough connected to it, so it gives it fuel." I remember a number of years ago in uh, in Yucca Valley. Um, you know, each year in Yucca Valley, there's uh, the, the retreats that also have a combination of uh, movement as well as uh, uh, sitting practice, and they used to be called Lomi uh, Vipassana retreats, and often people from the Lomi school have uh, usually have led the movement. There was this, uh, in the early years there was this one um, one fellow who was leading the movement. Uh, he just did it for a year or two. Uh, I was sitting on the retreat. And uh, at the end of the movement session, somebody came up to him and uh, a number of people came up asking for some advice on how they can fix their bodies one way or another and do particular um, exercises or stretches that would help them in whatever their condition was. And this, uh, this one woman was talking about a particular uh, condition that, that she had and she explained, and there were a few people around, uh, and he suggested one uh, exercise, and she said, oh, no, 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 I, I, I couldn't do that, um, because I know what's going to happen if I do that. And then he suggested a second one, he said, well, you might try doing doing this as an alternative. And she said, oh, no, no, because I, I, I can't do that, because I know that this will happen if I do it. And he, he gave three or four Options And each time she parried with a reason why she couldn't do that. And he he paused and he said, I think your intention to stay the same is greater than your intention to change. And as long as your intention to stay the same is greater, you will stay the same. When your intention to change is greater, you will change. This is about... 15 years or so ago, and it was a, it was a moment of, of real power for me because I saw the ways that I sabotage myself and, and talk myself out of my um, moving past my comfort zone because, oh, I couldn't do that. What if that happens? We do that for ourselves. But once we have that emotional connection that says, I will do this. We'll just see, and there is a, a, a contact of some courage that comes along, then nothing gets in the way. Or each thing that gets in the way is seen as another, um, another learning experience. Now, there's, there's a paradox that comes as we get very strongly in touch with our intention in practice, and that is, it's important to have a wholehearted commitment, but at the same time, not get caught in attachment to the results. Particularly if you've got a timetable that you're judging yourself. You know. I'm going to be concentrated on this retreat. I know I'm going to be concentrated. I intend to be concentrated. Please let me be concentrated. And there it is, you know, the third day or the fourth day or the fifth day, and you're more busy looking at how you're not concentrated than just letting the process take care of itself. So the paradox is to give a full hearted intention and then just see what happens, working with the unfolding. Planting the seeds and trusting in the process. Uh, on on one retreat, somebody gave a talk on the power of mindfulness, and it was so convincing and so true. It struck me as being so true that I realized, even though it might not have been obvious, that every moment of mindfulness counts. At every moment of mindfulness, I was deconditioning habits of grasping, aversion, and delusion. Every single one. And when I had that as a motivation, it didn't matter what it looked like. If I was calm, if I was concentrated, if I was chaotic, or whatever. All I needed to do, my task, is to bring a moment of mindfulness in this one right here, and as as that mode is more available, there's more of a sense of trusting in the in the process and the unfolding, instead of thinking I've got to control it, and feeling very discouraged when it doesn't happen the way I want it to. Particularly in these first few days, the settling in, as you know, most of you have done many retreats before settling in is a teaching in itself. I have not been able to figure after 25 years of doing this how to start a retreat on the fourth day. (laughs) It just doesn't work. And I used to feel so frustrated that I have to go through all that stuff and maybe it'll I'll, I'll have a whole retreat one of settling in you know it'll be a 10 day settling in retreat you know heaven forbid and as you do it more and more you see oh yeah all right, there's wandering mind yep yeah. there's achy body there's sleepiness yep yeah. there's restlessness restlessness that's part of the package of the settling in. And knowing that that's the way it is, you don't have to rush the process while putting in your sincere commitment. You can't rush the process. And I think one of the big differences between, say, an old student's retreat and one that half the people are new is that you don't have to hold the hand as much and say, yeah, it really works, you know, trust me. But even so, watch any kind of jumping ahead of yourself that you might be experiencing, you know. Happens so much on the second day, you know, well, I'm still not quite as focused as I'd like to be, you know. And on every retreat, it's like, give yourself three days, you know. Then give yourself another two days, you know. That's what I do. I give myself at least three days to go through as much sleepiness and restlessness or whatever, usually sleepiness for me, because there's a lot of low energy on the first couple of days of retreat. And then if I'm still in that space, I'll give myself another few days. It's more the giving yourself the space for your process to be that counts than what's actually happening. And you know that image that um, the Buddha had of filling a bucket under under a a dripping faucet, drop by drop, you know, each drop doesn't seem like much, but drop by drop those moments of mindfulness build on each other and there's a certain momentum of practice, the bucket gets filled, or your practice starts to starts to take off. How we deal with our discouragements is really crucial to this whole process. I came across um, um, a a little uh, uh, anecdote about Thomas Edison. I just read it recently in my Thursday class uh, that uh, when he invented the light bulb, there were um, 2,000 attempts at least, that he, that he made before he actually got it to work. And somebody uh, asked him after uh, he did invent the light bulb, how did it feel to, uh, to have 2,000 failures? How did you keep on going, failing 2,000 times? And Edison said, I didn't fail. I invented the light bulb And it was a 2,000-step process. How do you deal with your discouragements? How do you work with it when things don't quite seem to be going your way? This is the key to the practice. Letting go of that illusion of control to just see what's actually here right now. Intention has its roots in our beliefs. You know, we are creatures of our beliefs and most of the time we are creating self-fulfilling prophecies and much of the time of that time the prophecies aren't so pleasant ones for many people. You know, this won't work out. Everybody else is going to get it on this retreat. You know. And our beliefs about ourselves, if they are in the positive vein, will also create self-fulfilling prophecies. I came across a, a quote, I think it was Mark Twain, who said, if you think something is impossible, you will make it impossible. And it's not so different from the Buddha, in that first line in the Dhammapada, saying, we are what we think. With our thoughts, we make the world. Mind is the forerunner of all things. Another way of putting it. Our beliefs, which are usually unconscious, run our, our world. Belief is an idea that we have that is fueled by a feeling of certainty, even though it might be completely off. You know, it's empowered by a feeling of certainty. And think of the the beliefs you have, say, about yourself that aren't so so um, productive. I know many in my past. You know, oh, I'm a klutz. You know, I. Spent a number of years with that one, you know, and and it's still up there. You know, I spill something or I up oh, there it is. You know, that that belief. Oh, you're a klutz. Yeah, you knew you were. Or I'm somebody that you know won't be popular. You know, I was very shy when I was growing up. You know, I didn't even. It's hard to look in the mirror till I was about oh, 17 or 18. You know, and uh, I went to an all-boys high school and was younger than most of the people uh, uh my age and uh, not my age. I was the same age as people my age, <laughs> but I was younger than most of the people in my grade. And uh, I just felt really out of it and was sure that you know no girl would ever like me. And my I remember my sister saying, "You know, you'll be surprised. I think I think people will like you. you know, girls will like you." Nah, nah. And just seeing the way my belief system worked, it was actually when I was about 20 or 21, I had a a, a real revelation that. Um, if I approached my life as if things weren't going to work out that was how they would be and what if I approached assuming that things would work out? It was very I mean it was a very uh, I can't put it into words just it was a transformative experience. I decided to do this experiment for a week. okay I'll just act as if things will work out. I'll pretend. That people like me or want to be with me, you know, and, and lo and behold, you know, started coming true. And it's just all in here. That's where the that's the magical element of of it is. It's all in here, or all in here, we could say. So one of my main practices these days, and actually for the last few years, is Noticing whatever limiting belief I might have, whatever limitation I'm imposing on reality that says, this is how it's going to be. I have no idea how it's going to be. And it. as soon as I see that limiting belief, it opens up limitless possibilities. And then it becomes so much more exciting and... Um, Adventurous to just see what's going to happen instead of to think that I know what's going to happen. Like Suzuki says, you know, in the in the beginner's mind there are many possibilities; in the expert's mind there are few. And we can be experts in in the most um, unproductive ways. Our take on reality. So. Our beliefs are important and then having a vision, an aspiration of what we want to create. The possibility of not being wedded to the past. Enormous. What we focus on is the key. Let's see if there are ways that you hold yourself either in relationship or in some life issue outside of retreat, or here in, in the practice, there's some way that you hold yourself that um, doesn't allow a greater vision. And what it would be like to change that around, to have the possibility of just just what you yearn for manifesting. Having a vision, having a clear comprehension of purpose, it's sometimes talked about in the teachings. Having a clarity of what you want to create can inform everything that you do. Uh, a number of years ago, I, I went to, um, I was on my way actually to Asia and I stopped in, uh, in Europe. My flight took me there and uh, I decided to visit Mother Mira who I, a number of my friends had gone to see and heard really wonderful things about her. So uh, so I uh, signed up to to see her for uh, for two nights. And what I had been told was you um, you get you get 45 seconds. I didn't. I wasn't told 45 seconds, but I, I timed it, and it turned out to be at 40 about 45 seconds. But you have some time that you go up, one by one, and are with Mother Mira, this wonderful, this great Indian uh, uh, saint, and um, you have some kind of a, an interaction with her, and she grants your your boons. She gives you a boon what you wish for. Uh, will possibly come true right so I went there the first night and I, I didn't want to go uh, towards the beginning I thought I'd kind of check out the scene and um, and you go up and you're, there's like an on deck circle right and then and then you the person goes up and then they finish and then the next person comes and then somebody goes into that on deck uh, place and I was thinking let's see. She'll give me whatever I want. What do I really want? And that exercise in itself was was the teaching. What do I really want? God. Do I want something? Some situation? Do I want some object? Do I want something to happen? Well, this is if this is the only chance you get, just imagine a genie comes to you, you know, and says, You can get whatever you want. If you don't tell me, take your chances, you know, but if you tell me, I can give it to you. And it got me very clear what it is, what's my highest intention, what's my highest highest purpose. And as I got in touch with it, I realized I want a a purity of heart, as best I can. I want to serve as best I can, serve my family, my community. And I want to serve the Dharma well, as best I can. And as I got in front of her, just feeling the power of, of her witnessing that, and my stating it so sincerely to myself. It has stayed with me for uh, all these years and it's something that I I say to myself, remind myself before each um, Dharma talk, interview, just again and again to come back to my highest intentions. That moment where you feel connected with it is a turning point. Just reflect for yourself what your highest intention is. Suppose a genie came to you or somebody like Mother Mira. Just take a moment. What is your highest intention? yourself feel the sincerity that you bring to that. There's something very invigorating, very enlivening about it, very empowering about it. Remember the the first time when I realized that I was that I'd found my path, just that um, that clarity. Do you remember? Do you remember when that was for you? We've all had that moment. Right? I remember I was in uh, in Naropa Institute in uh, in Boulder in 1974, and there was Joseph Goldstein and uh, who. Didn't particularly fit my image of what a, a great, guru or meditation teacher, was like. You know, I had a different idea. But he was kind of, you know, skinny and you know, like me with a New York accent. And uh, you know, but I started to hear what he had to say after a few minutes, and I said, "Wow, this guy knows something." And I, had this feeling: if he could do it, I could do it. I think I finally found what I was looking for. Do you remember? Do you remember for you? Just go inside for a moment. Remember when you knew that you found a spiritual path, whether it's, it was Buddha Dharma or whatever, when you knew that you were walking on the spiritual path. That intention that came from that understanding very empowering moment. So, remembering when you had confidence that not only were you committed to your spiritual path, but you could actually do it. I remember on my my second retreat, I was having a really hard time. This was in uh, Washington, Toledo, Washington. And the first two days of that retreat, my body was screaming. And I went... I thought I was, I had bought my Zafu and, you know, I made my investment uh, shortly before the retreat. So I knew I was going to sit, right? I sat on a cushion and it hurt. And I sat on a bench and it hurt. Then I sat in a chair. I remember going in the back of the room and said, okay, I'm going to sit in a chair. And it hurt. And there was no escape. I thought, oh my God. I can't do this, and then after a few days of settling in, it was. I found myself just falling in love with the practice and going, staying up later, you know, than, than the schedule. And uh, I remember actually uh, Sylvia's husband Seymour was uh, was at that retreat, and uh, we were sitting sitting late at night, and it was so exciting. And I I had this thought, oh my goodness, I can do this! Amazing, God. Three days ago, I thought I, I was out of here. And then that that sense of, I will do this. I will do this. And all of us have had experiences like that, where we started to get confidence just by going through the tough times. The process of really change, of, of deep change starts with a clarity that there is an intention to change. I came across this uh, uh, analysis of the process of change. One, uh, one theologian, I, I forget who it was, was writing about this, and how, um, how people make real changes in their life. He said that often it starts with um, an accumulated disgust over the way things are. You want to change, you know, whether it's your eating habits or your, you know, whatever habits you you have, you know. And you've been trying and trying and trying. At some point, there reaches a a critical mass where there's enough (laughs) disgust that it leads to what he called a moment of truth, where you say, That's enough. I'm going to change. And that's where this power of intention comes in. And then from that intention, there is um, a plan that you have. And in this, the the plan is being mindful. It's a very good plan. Just putting your whole heart into into this process. But as you have a plan and you follow it little by little, drop by drop, as, as I said a few moments ago, you start to change your image of who you thought you were. So instead of being somebody who wasn't able to, you then start seeing yourself as somebody who is in the middle of the process of changing. And that changing of self-image is uh, is incredibly important. And then he said... One other aspect of, of this process of change to include is dealing with relapses. Because if you fall again, or in your mind, you're falling, it can be easy to just give, give up or throw in the towel and say, oh, I thought I was changing, but I really didn't. You know, I'm just back where I was but if you see those relapses in a larger context of a, of a greater vision and have a support system which is very very helpful then those are just minor bumps in the road you know part of the 2000 step process of awakening whatever it is and that undaunted quality will see you through all those difficulties. When the Buddha, it said when the Buddha uh, first decided to be a Buddha, do you know when he first decided to be a Buddha? The previous Buddha, eons and eons and epics and mahakalpas before was Dipankara Buddha and there was this fellow alongside of of the road as Dipankara Buddha was was walking by, and there was some um, uh, uh, there was some uh, mud, and uh, and and so uh, this this Buddha this uh, this fellow uh, got and got got down, as I think I recall, and, and he put himself down so Dipankara Buddha wouldn't wouldn't have to walk over uh, over the mud, and he was so inspired by Dipankara Buddha, he said. I, too, will be a Buddha. And Dipankara said, he stopped and he said, this man has just made a commitment to be a Buddha, and he will. You will be a Buddha. Imagine having the Buddha tell you that, huh? And that was the, the seed of intention that carried him through his long journey of countless lifetimes until his last lifetime, where after seeing the heavenly messengers, old age, sickness, and death, and then the image of the renunciate, saying, I too will give up the palace and see what the deepest meaning of life is. And then sitting under the tree after six years of of the greatest austerities and saying, I will sit under this tree until I become enlightened or die. This whole journey that we're all on is a result of the power of his intention. Undaunted. And we all know of stories of just amazing um, overcoming of obstacles when one is clear on the power of that intention. And I came across this, this story, I, I shared it with the Thursday group of Wilma Rudolph. You know, Wilma Rudolph, she, was, she, was bo- um, she had um, rheumatic fever, I think it was, um, at about four years old, and she, uh, she couldn't walk. And she was put in uh, in uh, braces. She had to walk with braces. She walked for um, she she attempted. She got around in braces for about four years, from four till eight, and uh, and then they said, okay, see if you can can try getting around. And slowly, very haltingly, she she started to be able to walk. And when she got enough strength, she. Started to jog just a little bit as an experiment, and she realized she loved that freedom after those years in braces. And she loved it so much that she decided to enter uh, races. And she lost every race that she entered. You know, they, and they kept on saying, "Forget it. You know, it's wonderful that you can walk or even jog. Don't even consider, you know, racing." I think the first 25 races she entered, she came in dead last, like way dead last. And then after some time, she actually did better and then won a race, and then won another, and then won another. And is one of the great American track stars as an Olympic gold medalist, three gold medals in 1960 or so in the 50s. Wilma Rudolph, Glenn Cunningham was another one. When I was, a kid, when I was a boy, I remember his his story. Glenn Cunningham, uh, this fellow who was badly burned in a um, in a fire when he was uh, when he was young, and all of the the arches on his feet were uh, were burned, and he could hardly walk. Actually, he couldn't walk for quite some time. Also, became one of the great track stars in our in our history. How does that happen? It's all in here and in here, the power of intention. So, reflect. What was your intention? Do you remember what you came in to today with? Your intention for this retreat? There's some beautiful... Uh, responses. Somebody said, you know, a few people said in one form or another, to be here for whatever is here. And for one person was, even if there's fear. And for another, even if there's resistance. Even if there's doubt. (laughs) To see through the eye. My intention these days in a In a lot of my practices, to not take things personally. That has helped me very much in recent times. When I remember, especially. (laughs) The intention just to come back to the moment with kindness and lightness. To not feel that you're, that you've, you've blown it again. But, ah yes, fresh start. Whatever your intention is, this is your personal secret ingredient in your practice. And the most one of the most noble intentions is the intention of practicing not only for your own welfare but for the benefit of all. What is called bodhicitta, the altruistic motivation and practice. This is from Nyoshal Kempo Rinpoche. He says, uh, whatever we do with selfish, narrow, egotistical motivation is very limited and probably also temporary. The very essence of Buddha Dharma is to benefit others, bodhicitta, Everything depends on one's intention. One can work with anything and integrate it into the spiritual practice path through pure mind and good heart, always from the point of view of benefiting others. We are not practicing for ourselves alone, since everybody is involved, is included in the great scope of our perfectly pure motivation We talk about vast and profound teachings of Dharma, like Dzogchen, for example. Without this goodness of heart, this unselfishness, all is mere chatter, gossip, and rationalization. It really brings a whole other dimension to practice when we see that everything we do is contributing to greater clarity and kindness in the world that has its rippling effect. So you might experiment with that among your other intentions for practice. Once we are able to have a deep sense of intention and motivation, then amazing things happen. And I'll just close with this quote from W. H. Murray from the Scottish Himalayan Expedition. Until one is committed, there is hesitancy, the chance to draw back, always ineffectiveness. Concerning all acts of initiative and creation, there is one elementary truth, the ignorance of which kills countless ideas and splendid plans. That is, that the moment one definitely commits oneself then providence moves too. All sorts of things occur to help one that would never otherwise have occurred. A whole stream of events, issues from the decision, raising in one's favor all manner of unforeseen incidents and meetings and material assistance which no person could have dreamt would have come their way. I've learned a deep respect for one of Goethe's couplets, Whatever you can do or dream you can, begin it. Boldness has genius, power, and magic in it. So let's sit for a few moments. Thank you for your attention and intention. There's about 50 minutes or so for walking and then we'll come back for a last sitting. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit